Hello and welcome to another episode of Varsity 360. I'm Colombian sports editor Micah Rice, joined today by Tim Martinez. And uh, no better person than our high school sports coordinator to go through some of the highlights of the uh, fall 2023 sports season. We have the top 10 moments that we think really brought a lot of excitement and kind of wove the fabric for the uh, high school sports season that just ended uh, this past weekend. But first of all, thanks to First Pacific Financial. We're coming to you from the First Pacific Financial studio. Uh, thank you to them for allowing us to use the setup and this equipment. And we got a lot of great ideas for some future podcasts in the next couple of weeks that we will uh, be happy to bring to you from the space. But before we look forward, uh, let's look back and go through the top 10 moments that we chose for the high school sports season in fall of 2023. Number 10, uh, we're going to go to an exciting play in the middle of the 2A Greater St. Helens League football season. Uh, Hudson's Bay versus Ridgefield, uh, 2.35 left. Uh, Ridgefield had just taken a 24-21 lead. Raphael Bauman returns the ensuing kickoff, 86 yards for a touchdown to give Hudson's Bay a 28-24 win over Ridgefield. That improved the Eagles, who were picked near the bottom of the league, to 4-0 at the time. Uh, they started the season 5-0 and kind of unveiled what would be a pretty chaotic 2A Greater St. Helens League football season, one full of unpredictability and tight games. Uh, the Eagles uh, went on to, to get into a tiebreaker at the end, uh, get the number three seed into the district playoffs and reach the postseason for the first time since 2017. Tim, you were there at Ridgefield Stadium that day. What do you remember about that moment? Um, well, you know, I remember, I remember the whole, the, the whole game was, you know, a competitive game. It was a game in which, uh, you know, Ridgefield was able to show that they could run the ball and, and effectively uh, move the ball against, um, against Ridgefield. And then late in the game, Ridgefield made some plays on, you know, on defense and on offense, set themselves up for the, what looked like to be the, the go-ahead was, was the go-ahead field goal with uh, just a little under three minutes to go. And then, um, you know, Rafael Bauman, you know, explosive player, uh, got the kickoff return. And I remember when they kicked it off to him, I, I was thinking, you know, um, you know, are they going to squib this or, you know, whatever. And, and they, they kicked it to him and he found an alley and broke free. And uh, the whole sort of vibe in the stadium flipped around in, in a very short time from a very exciting, uh, you know, field goal kick to, to a big, big play for Bay that again, like you said, kind of kicked off the, 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 crazy competitive nature of the two-way greatest in Helens League this year. I got the sense that that was really the game where Hudson's Bay started to believe. You know, Ridgefield had been among the top teams in the Greater St. Helens League the past few years, and here Hudson's Bay goes into their house, knocks off the sputters, and at that point, I got a sense seeing Bay the next week in, in their win against Mark Morris that that really flipped a switch for them. How was the atmosphere in the post-game huddle? Um, you know, they were, it was, it was very, very energetic, very emotional. Everyone, you know, they were like, you know, people didn't believe in us. Um, you know, and it wasn't so much that, you know, you know, people didn't believe in them. It's just that the games that they had played leading up to those games, they hadn't really, you know, if you look at how those, those teams finished the season, I think they opened the season with, um, with Heritage week one. And then I think they played Kings Way in week two and week three was Prairie, um, you know, teams that didn't win a whole lot of games. And so even though they won those games impressively, it's kind of like, well, how are they going to match up when they play, you know, a quality opponent? 
and uh, and they came out and showed that they they can hang with you know the best teams uh, in the league. And um, yeah, it was just a very a very emotional night for the, for the for the Eagles. Nice. Our number nine moment, we go to the state swimming championships and Ridgefield, a small school, hadn't had a swimming program for very long, but Rebecca Yamada became the school's first state swimming champion. Uh, she goes and wins the 100-yard breaststroke sorry, by nearly three seconds to deliver that program its first swimming state championship. She had uh, arrived recently, uh, moved with her family from Arizona. She cut nearly a second off of her time that she recorded in the preliminaries. And uh, Tim, again, you were there in federal West when uh, Rebecca won that uh, that uh, state championship, um, you kind of were talking beforehand about how we were we're, we're going to wait and see kind of who stepped up the most among our local swimmers at the, uh, the the state championships, and certainly Rebecca Yamada did. Yeah, every year in, in swimming, it's um, you, you wait to see they get through districts, and you wait to see what times they put up because everyone you know swimming is a buildup to to swim your best at the at the end of the season. And then you wait for those heat sheets to come out at the state meet to see how these times compare um, statewide. And, um, you know, when those heat sheets came out, Rebecca was a top seed in, in the breaststroke. And there were other um, two-way swimmers who were also, you know, top five seeds. And so it was like, okay, this is going to be, you know, an event to go check out. And schedules worked out. You know, I started the day at a Richfield soccer game at noon up in Fife, which is just down the road. And then finished up down at the federal way at the state meet. It's the second year I've been to the, the state meet. It's a cool event. You know, I hadn't been there before. And um, she uh, and, and Rebecca came out and, 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 and improved on her time. Because a lot of times, you know, a lot of teams, swimmers from down here, they'll get to that state meet and they'll just start to cut time in the prelims. And again, in the finals, Rebecca did that. Um, and I remember being at the state meet last year and having somebody from Richfield saying, hey, you know, we've got some Richfield kids here and we haven't had anyone at the state meet before this was last year and now they not only returned and not only did they return but they uh got a state champion so that was a cool moment well just how, how important is that for building a program to be able to point to a state champion and say uh hey you, you don't it doesn't matter if we're a new program or a small school you come here you can uh, become among the best in the state yeah well it's uh, you know it's an interesting situation for ridgefield because uh they don't have a pool at ridgefield so they're um in the past they've combined with uh with like the Hawkinson program and the battleground program and they do a co-op. Um, they used to swim at the uh, Clark County YMCA, but this year they, they, the teams practice out at uh, the Gold's Gym in uh, Camas. It was a long trek to make out and go out there mm-hmm. for practices and stuff. So uh, they had about six swimmers. And even though they only had six swimmers from Ridgefield, they had a relay place in the top four. So that's four of the six. Um, it certainly helps when you have a, a new arrival from Arizona and, and Rebecca, and uh, they also had Medea Russo in there. Um, so, yeah, it's, I think it's going to create a little more excitement for people to go, hey, you know, maybe I should go out for swimming at Ridgefield.
Our number eight moment, uh, we go to one of the budding small school football rivalries in Southwest Washington, uh, LeCenter versus Seton Catholic. And uh, this was uh, quite a, a good football game uh, at Seton Catholic, which had kind of surprised a lot of people. Uh, you know, they, they had uh, gone undefeated through the Trica League season until they reached the, uh, the game with the perennial power, LeCenter. And Seton Catholic gets out to a 13 and nothing lead shuts out the center through three quarters then the wildcats rally in the fourth quarter uh they finally get the go-ahead touchdown with less than two minutes left quarterback houston Coyle connects with parker mckinney on a 25-yard touchdown pass uh that wraps up the center's fifth straight trico league title and uh, uh, basically, I think, considering what Seton Catholic went on to do in reaching the state semifinals, it pulled back the curtain to debut what I think is going to be one heck of a small school football rivalry. Tim, you were there. What do you remember about that game? Um, you know, the, I think I remember about it is, you know, we, we knew that Seton Catholic had improved and they were much better than and they've been making steady improvement. The question was, is how much of a gap would they have closed between LeCenter? Because pre-last year, I think LeCenter beat Seton Catholic like, it was like 70 to 21 or something like that. Mm -hmm. And so, uh, you know, Seton came right out and, uh, you know, they were a team that had early in the season had thrown the ball a lot and they were mixing in the run and and they were really, they were just running right at uh, LeCenter and, and playing very good on defense. And again, they led 13 nothing. The thing I remember about it, it was the first Friday of the season that was rainy. Mm. It was, uh, you know, well, not a heavy rain, but a persistent, steady rain. Uh, maybe that, you know, impacted the way both teams attacked uh, the, the game that night. Um, and then in the fourth quarter, LaCenter started to figure things out, um, scored a touchdown there with about two minutes to play. And then Seton came down and was uh, inside the 20 in the final minute, and it took an interception in the end zone. The... Um, Seton uh, ran a, a reverse in which the quarterback leaks out and they throw it back to the quarterback. Um, but uh, Houston Coyle saw it. He knew it. He recognized it and got over and covered it and threw it and got the interception um, for a, a thrilling win. I think it's going to be, a pre again, like I said, a precursor. I mean, both these teams are, are junior-led, and uh, there'll be a lot of – both teams will be very good next year, and especially given the way that Seton made its postseason run. I think it's uh, setting up for uh, – future rivalry set up here in the long run. All right, our number seven moment. We'll stay in football and go to the 2A Gray St. Helens League and Woodland. Uh, they had a, a week nine game all the, all the chips in the, on the table against Ridgefield. Winner gets the league title. And, well, Woodland gets the win 28-21. to 21. Uh, Elijah Anderson gets a pass breakup on the final play to seal the win. That caps an item, which he had three touchdowns. And uh, just that game and that moment and the celebration that followed really was the culmination of a great season for Woodland, uh, one that has seen a pretty meteoric rise from that program under second-year coach Sean McDonald. Uh, like I said, the, the first Greater St. Helens League title since 2007. And uh, boy, I, I think we sort of 
have been watching Woodland and Elijah Anderson uh, ever since the start of the league season, where pretty early they knocked off the preseason favorite Washougal. But we were kind of always wondering, you know, they're, they're, are, are they more than just the one-man show? And they showed it uh, in, in that Week 9 game where the stakes were the highest, knocking off Ridgefield to wrap up that league title. Uh, just how fitting of a capstone was that for Woodland to wrap up the 2A GSHL title in that way? Well, it was, it was just great that you, it comes down to week nine and yeah. one game for the league title. And uh, you know, the stakes were even higher than, than, than that, and if you could imagine. I mean, for Woodland, if Woodland had lost, they would have been the number two seed. They would have been home in the week uh, 10 playoffs. But for Ridgefield, they threw, they dropped back into a three-way tie, had to go good in tiebreaker, which they eventually uh, didn't win, which put them uh, on the road to Tumwater. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it ended up being, you know, Richfield went from hoping to be number one to being number four. And I think, like you said, it was, you know, uh, kind of a culmination of, of, the, of the, the rise of the Woodland program under uh, Sean McDonald in the, these two years. And uh, it was just a great moment, a big game. Uh, you know, Woodland got up, I think mm -hmm. it was like 28 to seven at one point, and Richfield battled back and, and nearly rallied back. So it was, uh, you know, I, I know talking to Meg about it, she thought after halftime, she was like, oh, this game's looking like it could get away and yeah. turned out to be a great, great game with a great finish. Well, and it really showed, you know, the, the impact of a player like Elijah Anderson, who not only scores a bunch of touchdowns on offense, is a key player on defense, you know, very fitting that he gets that final pass broken up to uh, seal the win and cap really a, a season where he set the tone along with his teammates. Our number six moment, uh, we go to Seton Catholic again. We touched on them and how they kind of showed everybody when they narrowly lost to the center that they were for real. Well, they really showed people they were for real when in the state quarterfinals, they go on the road, a long road trip to Wenatchee to play Kashmir, which has a, a track record of success in the 1A state playoffs. Well, not only does Seton stick with Kashmir, they rally in the fourth quarter. Uh, Five-minute span, they score three touchdowns to take the lead. Then Riker Willis uh, intercepts a pass with one minute, nine seconds to play to seal a 42-35 to win over Kashmir and book a trip to the state semifinals. Uh, boy, I, I mean, if, if you were kind of thinking – Seton Catholic was just sort of a feel-good story. You know, they make the state playoffs for the first time in program history. But uh, what are they going to do when they actually get in there? They got to go on the road, long, you know, five, six-hour bus ride to Wenatchee, play against a, a team that, uh, you know, has been to the state playoffs multiple times in recent years. There's no way they were going to, you know, not only win, but come from behind and win. Well, Seton proved everybody wrong. Yeah, and they did it by, you know, Scoring, you know, they were they were a high scoring. You kind of figure that once they get to the playoffs, they would have games like the Le Center game. You know, mm -hmm. this low scoring defense. You got to make a, a play, but they kept scoring. You know, they scored. Uh, I think it was fifty six against Kings, and they scored. Uh, you know, forty nine in this game. They put up fifty something in the week ten against Tenino. They just kept uh, just outscoring teams, and I think that was you know impressive, especially coming down from two touchdowns down in the fourth quarter. Um, against a, you know, a really good cashmere team. I think the team that you saw last year. Beat LeCenter right. in the state playoffs. 
Yeah, and I think it speaks to the playmakers that uh, Seton Catholic has, which, by the way, they're almost all going to be back uh, next year. You know, they have a, a great young quarterback in Colton Gesser, multiple playmakers, Joe Calarami, Jacob Williams, Riker Ellis, like we said, Ryan Stuck. And so with that kind of offensive power, fi- firepower, they really showed what they could do in the state playoffs. Yeah, I think it's. I think it sets the table for an exciting 2024 for the for the Cougars. Yeah. Our number five moment: we go to volleyball and the Yakima Valley Sun Dome, and one of the most dominating performances that I think uh, we've ever seen at the state tournament, certainly by any team from Clark County. Columbia River wins its third straight Class 2A state volleyball title. And the one common thread between the three state championship teams in a row has been Lauren Dreaves. Lauren Dreaves, the Auburn commit, uh, one of the best outside hitters in the state. Uh, She gets the final kill to end her high school career with a state championship where the, the Rapids only lost one set all year. They just rolled through the state tournament, and including uh, going up 14 to nothing in the first set of the semifinals against Burlington Edison. I remember uh, being there and just seeing the focus on that team the entire day. They were on a mission, and there, uh, it, it turned out kind of how it has been in the past uh, three years where they go up against Ridgefield, their 2A Greater St. Helens League rival, a Ridgefield program that, by the way, has reached the state title game the last five tournaments. But there was no stopping Columbia River on this one. They they just blitzed through everybody. And uh, I interviewed Lauren Dreves uh, just earlier this week. To, uh, for, she's going to be our all-region volleyball player of the year, obviously. And I asked her to sum up the season in one word, and she went to that word that I opened this segment with dominant and I couldn't disagree with her. Yeah. It's, uh, you know, it's amazing to have a team that go out and win three state championships like that. I think any kind of run of that is, is sort of historic, but you know, you kind of think about, you know, Richfield, they, they've been the second best team in their league and they end up being the second best team in the state three years running. It's uh, yeah. it's a very, uh, you know, it, it speaks to, to the, uh, you know, to to Lauren and and the, and the Rapids and how good they've been over the last couple of years, but just how good uh, the volleyball scene down here in uh, Southwest Washington has been over the last five, six years. So. Well, definitely. And I thought it was so fitting that Lauren Dreaves got the final kill to cap off just an amazing high school career, because not only does her talent uh, at the net and, and her quickness and her knowledge of the game and the way she works with her teammates, uh, three different setters for three different years, all of whom have been you know, worked with her to become one of the best in that position. But she, she just sets the emotional tone for that program. You know, she's intense. She drives her teammates to become better. But then when they accomplish their goal, you, you just see how much winning means to her and how rare of, a, of an athlete that is to will her team to a three straight state titles. So a perfect capstone for an outstanding high school career for Lauren Dreaves. For our next 
moment, we go to cross country and one of the best finishes of any race of the year happened in the 2A district race for the girls at Lewis River Golf Course. Uh, came down to the end, uh, Washugal's L. Thomas, who has been an outstanding runner all four years for the Panthers, and a newcomer, Ridgefield's Danica Allen, a former soccer player who was out for cross country uh, for the first time as a junior. Well, L. Thomas had led the race the entire way. Danica Allen kind of comes you know, lying in wait, gets on her shoulder, and then beats her in the final two or two or three meters, uh, passes her for one of the best finishes that I can remember in a long time in cross country. Uh, You've been to a lot of cross-country races, Tim. You know, quite often it's it's uh, one or, or two runners that kind of distance themselves, and it very rarely comes down to the end. But uh, there's almost nothing like uh, the thrill of a race where it's two runners on each other's shoulders in the final moments. Yeah, you normally you go to a, a meet like that, and you see the leaders, you know, top two, three or so. They'll run the first two miles or so with each other and you think, oh, this is gonna be a great finish. And then that last mile, some separation happens. And even though on the stat sheet, it might not look more than, you know, a second, two seconds, three seconds, you know, in space, it's, it's 10, 20, 30, 40 meters. So to have a, a district um, championship meet, just go right down to the wire like that, it's uh, gotta be, a, you know, an exciting, exciting finish to the season or to the, the, the local season at least. Well, and being that L. Thomas had been a, a top five finisher at state the, the previous year and had actually been runner-up at districts the previous three years, uh, again, she's runner-up, but uh, nothing but respect for, for the career that she put together. She was just an amazing runner to watch, but it just goes to show how in cross-country, you never know who's going to kind of come up. No one had, uh, obviously, Danica Allen, if you had paid attention to track and field, you knew she was a, an excellent 800 runner and. 1600 runner. She is incidentally the daughter of the baseball coach out there at Ridgefield, Nick Allen. I, I saw him at, at, at Tri-Cities before the, uh, the, the, the meet in the hotel, everyone getting their breakfast. And uh, yeah, he was obviously thrilled for how his daughter had ran, but uh, she had been a soccer player and then just decided that that wasn't for her anymore. And she jumps right in and uh, you know has success right off the bat with the district championship in cross country. Definitely, she's going to be a runner to look to uh, look at not only this spring, but next fall as a senior. All right, our number three moment was just a thrilling moment in the Class 1A uh, soccer playoffs. Uh, Shayla Bradley, one of the best players, not only in the area, but perhaps in all of the Northwest club scene, uh, playing soccer for La Center. She scores her third goal of a playoff match with 30 seconds left as La Center beats Meridian 3-2 to earn its first state tournament win in girls' soccer program history. The Wildcats would go on to place fourth in the Class 1A tournament, really a team led by Shayla Bradley, just a transformative talent, uh, especially at the small school level. Tim, you there what do you remember about the performance Shayla put on that night you know it was just it was so obvious watching Shayla out there playing that she was clearly the best player on on the field that that night as she is on uh, many nights um you know Meridian was a was a good team they were well organized and well coached and they they got the first goal and then you know then Shayla just kind of on the on her first goal just kind of took over uh on her side of the on the 
their side and just kind of took over possession and just weaved her way through and got a shot off to tie it. And then Meridian scored, I think, again early in the second half to go up 2-1. And, and then Shayla scored again with about 16 minutes left to play to tie it at 2-2. And then both teams had shots in the opportunities the last 10 minutes. And it looked like it was heading down to, you know, going into overtime because, you know, you, the clock was off. And, and you try to time it out, try to figure out how much, you know, time there was. And uh, the center got one last push. And, 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 uh, and Shayla got, you know, sort of free and open to, to take a shot and she didn't miss. And it was uh, just an exciting win for the Wildcats. And uh, it was their first state playoff win in program history. And they would go on to uh, play in the state semifinals. So um, just, uh, just a thrilling moment for Shayla. And, uh, uh, and also, as I recall, she was nursing a, a leg injury a little bit that she was yep. trying to work her way through and manage. And so uh, it was just a great, great moment for for the, the center program and for Shayla Bradley. Well, especially Shayla has gotten a lot of her attention at, at the club level in the Portland Thorns Academy and going to uh, some national level camps and everything. So for her to come out and, and play high school soccer is just a treat and something where through her, she elevated a whole group of girls around her and a whole program and certainly a capstone moment uh, in that, you know, to get that first state tournament win and lead La Center to a, a great season. All right, our number two moment, uh, we go up to Kelso where Mountain View football uh, was looking to avenge what had been a, a close loss the previous year against the Highlanders in which Kelso, you know, they downed the, the Thunder en route to winning the three agrarian St. Helens League title. Mountain View with revenge on its mind had to really work for it. It was kind of a back and forth game, both running backs, Porter Drake uh, for Mountain View and Aiden Mintanya for Kelso were just on top of their game, rushing for over 200 yards apiece. Uh, it goes into overtime. Mountain View forces overtime uh, by blocking a field goal on the last play of the game. And then the Thunder get a touchdown on their first possession of overtime. Kelso answers with a touchdown and decides they're going to end it right then and there. They go for two. Mountain View comes up with a big stop on Aiden Montoya, holding him short of the goal line. I believe it was Aiden Denbo who who had that big tackle to kind of stuff it up. Uh, you know, Mountain View with that win, they go on to clinch the Greater St. Helens League title outright with a win over Heritage the next week. Uh, it is never easy to win on the road in Kelso, but to do it in such thrilling fashion with a league title pretty much on the line, that to me was one of the best moments of the high school football season. Yeah, I think, I think anytime you have a game that goes into overtime, that you know you see coaches do that, go for two. It's like we're gonna we're gonna win it. We're gonna go right now, and and uh, and you know watching the way that uh, Kelso was running the ball, you would think it's a pretty good bet. You know, they get the three yards that they need to get for the PA, the two-point conversion. Um, it was just one of those, uh, you know, I think it's, of course, speaks to it's difficult to win in Kelso because when you look at, you know, Kelso finished tied with Evergreen and Prairie and had to go in and advance to the uh, playoffs through a tiebreaker. And when you looked at when Mountain View played Evergreen and when Mountain View played Prairie, the games were not nearly as close. Mm -hmm. And so... Um, you're kind of like looking at that going, well, they, then they should probably have, have beaten Kelso also by a more comfortable margin. But again, the Highlanders stepped up, played a great game. 
And uh, it was just uh, just a fantastic finish. Well, and Kelso was a team that really came on toward the end of the year. They kind of figured out that Aiden Mont- Montagna was their guy in the backfield and and really was were able to mount a, a good offensive attack on that. But for Mountain View, I thought it was just a, a perfect, uh, you know, moment that encapsulates the grittiness of their season. This is a team with a first-year head coach, a team that maybe had some concerns about depth uh, with a a roster that was a little smaller than some of the others in that league. But when the Thunder needed to make a play, they got it done in thrilling fashion. And I just remember the the relief and the joy and the exhaustion on a cold kind of rainy night up in Kelso. Uh, Definitely probably, you know, a moment that Mountain View will look at as the highlight if you know for their season. Yeah, and I think it's it kind of gave them a springboard. You know, they had they had that competitive game midseason that they needed to kind of move them towards the playoffs. They would go on. They would beat Heritage. They would beat uh, Richland, a four A team that was a state playoff team in during week nine, and then they won their week to ten playoff game against uh, Edmonds Woodway. Uh, I think it just kind of put them on that path to 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 reach the state tournament. And our top moment of the 2023 fall high school sports season, uh, you couldn't ask for a more dramatic moment than this. Uh, Class 2A state soccer championship game goes to penalty kicks. Ridgefield's Ava Kreckenberg converts the clinching penalty kick as Ridgefield beats top-seeded West Valley of Spokane 3-2 to win its first girls' state soccer championship. You know, I, I always wonder, you know, what's going through an athlete's mind when they step up in that kind of pressure moment, knowing that your one kick can make program history. Well, we'll have to ask Ava what that's like, because she had a rare opportunity to be able to experience that and come through in the clutch. Obviously, a shout out to goalkeeper Gabriella Semlik, who made two saves in the penalty kick shootout. But no moment in sports really can be more nerve wracking than a soccer penalty kick shootout for Ridgefield to come through and get it done and to keep their nerve just was an amazing accomplishment for the sputters and one that they'll remember forever. Right. And then Ava had two moments in the postseason run with that because in the quarterfinals at five, that went to penalty kicks and uh, came down to uh, Ava in the, in the fifth spot of the PK, she converts Sputters win uh, against Fife to reach the state semifinals, and then they came back and kind of repeated the the uh, the scenario in the state championship game. And in the process, kind of made a mockery of them being a number seven seed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's that sort of happens. You know, it's like every year, it's like the two A Greater St. Helens League does you know very well in these. And the you know, I think they just have to they have to spread them out through the bracket. You yeah. know, because you don't want them meeting up too early. You know, I think. Uh, as it was, I think River and R.A. Long met up in the uh, state quarterfinals. Um, so I, I think part of that is they're just trying to spread the teams through through the bracket a little bit. But I think maybe some some uh, folks in the, around the state thought maybe the 2A wasn't quite as good as it had been in the past, and so that kind of drops them down. Uh, obviously, just having these teams like R.A. Long and River and, and Richfield, and even Hawkinson uh, had, had a nice late season run as well, showed that uh, you know they beat up on each other and – that, that competition during the league season pays off down in the postseason. Well, just the grit that Ridgefield showed in the state tournament, like you mentioned, getting that uh, going on the road to beat a number two seed in Fife in a penalty kick shootout. Well, then they get to play 
a river team that had been kind of their nemesis, uh, a, a Columbia River team that had beat them twice in the regular season. They get past the Rapids, and then not only do they beat the top-seeded West Valley of Spokane uh, team there, they twice came back from one goal down in that match. So a Sputters team that could never be counted out, that beat the toughest competition that you could throw up against them, and ultimately won in thrilling fashion. Right, and then, you know, in that again, in that quarterfinal game at Fife, uh, it was a scoreless match through, I think, 70 minutes, and then Fife scored the first goal, and Richfield answered within like a minute to make it 1-1, and then it eventually got into PKs. And speaking also of River, there are two losses to River. One of those losses was via penalty kick. Mm. And I remember Gabriela Semelik at the 5 for the 5 game talking about losing in the penalty kick and how, you know, I kind of changed her mindset going in to the ones that uh, she handled in the playoffs. Well, that's going to put a wrap on our 2023 fall sports season. Like we just uh, ran through a lot of highlights, a lot of dramatic moments, a lot of just really great performances by kids, uh, you know, from teams that represent their community and their school so well. I'm excited for the winter season. Obviously, we're going to have basketball. We have some fun developments in wrestling uh, that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks with a big tournament that's kind of getting a, a a renewed uh, stage to to set on but uh, uh, next week we're going to do something special in that in this episode of RC360 next Thursday we are going to reveal the all region football team so you'll definitely want to tune in for that for a sneak peek of who the all region football team players are uh, once again I'm Micah Rice sports editor of the Columbian with Tim Martinez and tune in next week 